Money FM 89.3, best of the evening runway. Regional Roundup. Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon. It's the evening runway. I'm Elliot Danker. Let's take a look at some headlines from the Southeast Asian region. And of course, we will talk about the recently concluded APEC forum. Plus, Indonesia's President Joko Widodo facing serious allegations of establishing a political dynasty through nepotism. Let's get some analysis. On the line with me is Nicholas Fang, Managing Director Black Dot and Director for Security and Global Affairs, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Good afternoon, my friend. How are you? Good afternoon, buddy. I am very good. Hoping the phone line is clearer this week than it was last week. So far, so good, my friend. Let's give it a go. Let's talk about the APEC Forum. I suppose, generically, has this been beneficial to ASEAN? Mm, Well, I think, first of all, if we just remind ourselves of the significance of APEC as a grouping with 21 members, they account for, you know, 37% of the global population, 62% of global GDP, and 47% of international trade. So it is nothing to sniff at in terms of its significance as a grouping. And for Southeast Asian nations, and indeed countries from any other parts of the world to be there, to be vocal and represented, is quite important, regardless of the signature. And I say that because if you pointed to to anything significant from Southeast Asia, uh, it's hard to say that you know all the 10 ASEAN member states made a massive impact at this year's APEC summit. If we look at where the focus areas have been, of course, you know the U.S.-China leaders meeting and what is looking hopefully like an easing of tensions between those two countries is important, and that would have benefits for Southeast Asia, of course, too. The Israel-Hamas conflict, that the grouping did not make any definitive comments or statements on that. So, you know, then that begs the question of how significant it was. There was comments, of course, that APEC is really a forum for geopolitical, you know, uh, grandstanding or debate in that sense. But then Brunei, Indonesia and Malaysia also issued a joint statement among the three of them to say that they supported earlier Riyadh summit, which called for the end of military ops in Gaza. So to various extents, you know, the different countries from Southeast Asia made various impacts. But, you know, was it a big showing for South? Southeast Asia? I don't think so. Mm. We have reference, of course, the, the countries, Vietnam, Thailand, and Indonesia, uh, you know, declaring that they have done quite well or, or, or have been calling for more investments to their countries at the APEC meeting. President Marcos at, uh, of the Philippines also announced that he secured $672.3 million worth of investments from the APEC summit. So, you know, individually, the countries are saying that they are doing well or, or they are, you know, at the same time, very encouraging for more investment, you know, from the local community and other APEC countries. And they took advantage of the summit to, to make that call. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny, Nick, as you mentioned this, I started to think, hey, the conversation around Southeast Asia especially tends to be like supply chains. You know, maybe, you know, countries should think about shifting supply chains towards this area. And what's funny is uh, the presidents of Vietnam, Thailand, Indonesia said it was time to invest in their respective countries. In fact, they even rolled out government incentives to get these supply chains shifted here. Uh, What would you say was the reaction to that? Is it enough that maybe we can all get a slice of the pie here? So I think the global supply chain industry has been, you know, of, of interest for a long time. The U.S. at APEC were, of course, calling, you know, for more integration among APEC nations when it comes to 
supply chains among other areas. So it's definitely something that is of interest to the major economies of the world. Now, the challenge, of course, is that when you talk about supply chains in this region, a lot of the conversation has been around this concern over is the U.S. and its allies seeking to decouple from China amid the sort of growing competitiveness between the two countries. And as a result of that, diversifying the supply chains away from, you know, traditional routes that link China to the rest of the world could be something that gains momentum. Mm. So, you know, APEC member countries looking to attract more American investment amid moves away from China will definitely be talking about things like supply chain shifting to Southeast Asia. But of course, uh, many, many uh, observers and experts who say this is a little bit dangerous. Uh, decoupling the world's dominant economies, yeah. you know, some of them say it's not even possible, not is yeah. it prudent. It's better to keep countries working together so that, you know, they have sort of shared destiny and interest in maintaining good relationships that is productive for all sides and will help to reduce the risk of conflict. Yeah. So they prefer to call it de-risking yeah. or diversification. <laughs> and that yeah. could be to Southeast Asia. And, and and then, of course, with the three countries that you mentioned, you know, they're rolling out government policies, they're touting their political stability and saying that, you know, please come here. Yeah. That's fine, as yeah. long as it doesn't play into this pressure to decouple from China, which I think a, a lot of experts have said would not be a good idea. Yeah, yeah. There's always an invisible problem in the background, right? They don't, as far as decoupling from China, a lot of observers saying that, hey, we need the two biggest powers in the world to get on side. But that conversation is another rabbit hole for us, Nick. Uh, although I do want to talk a little bit about Malaysian Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim saying the country secured quite a bit, uh, quite a few billion uh, ringgit in proposed investments from the United States, mainly from tech giants. Safe to say it's quite a fruitful trip for Prime Minister Anwar, in spite of the fact that he's been in the spotlight with regard to the support for the Palestine Hamas. Mm, that's right. So yeah, you could say it, it is a slightly surprising, you know, outcome for him post APEC, which was in, of course in San Francisco, because of, as you say, Malaysia's very strongly declared support yeah. for Palestine and the current conflict in the Middle East. Mm. He said himself, President Prime Minister Anwar said that he secured sixty-three, uh, over sixty-three billion ringgit from in the U.S. Uh, as you say, from you know. Uh, companies, but it's worthwhile highlighting that actually 8.33 billion of this 63 mm. was actually from the investment mission and trade that was actually in the US and which took place before APEC. So the 63 billion is not all from the APEC meetings, but minus of uh, 8 billion, the rest of it were actually from his one-on-one meetings uh, that he held in the US. Mm. And the companies here are big. You know, we're talking about Abbott Laboratories, we're yeah. talking about Boeing, Amazon. Uh, he's even courting Google, you know, Microsoft, TikTok. Mm-hmm. And he's very interested in getting Tesla to be mm. a bit more involved in Asia. Now, it's worthwhile uh, bearing in mind that all these investments have yet to be approved by the Malaysian government. It's pending, uh, you know, approval. And when you talk about countries like TikTok that have certain links to countries like China, for example, those approvals may take a bit of time, right, for them mm-hmm. to evaluate and, and the potential impact as well. But yeah, it, it does 
look like a nice report card yeah. um, from the APEC meeting. Yeah. And, you know, I guess the question would be, we actually coincidentally, in two days' time, yes. it's the one-year anniversary yeah. of Mr. Anwar's government. So, I, yeah, I guess people will be looking to it to see whether a good report card for him or not. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth, Nicholas, because I was thinking, yeah, Friday is the, the anniversary. When you consider he took over a Malaysian government and economy that's post-pandemic, trying to get travel back, you're trying to get more investments into the country, and unfortunately, you've got to navigate you know, two conflicts, one uh, over in uh, Russia-Ukraine and, of course, one in the Middle East. Your opinion, has it been successful? Uh, as some would say, finally, uh, Anwar Ibrahim become Coming Prime Minister, he's showing it? I think we all heard a very sort of, you know, hopeful, optimistic, you know, outlook when he was elected. But if you look at the latest number, I would say that he's definitely facing a challenging time. Yeah. Uh, the domestic economy in Malaysia is facing headwinds. You know, July, September GDP data that was out last Friday showed that exports declined 12% from a year earlier. Uh, they're facing rising food prices, mm. uh, falling ringgit currency, yeah. which is a 25-year low yeah. last month. You know, many businesses and households in Malaysia are definitely suffering. So, you know, I think people who had such high hopes for, for Mr. Anwar are definitely a little bit concerned. But in terms of the headwinds, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They are facing, you know, a global, potentially a, a slower a global economy yeah. in 2024. You've got these two conflicts that are still, you know, rolling on. And domestically, if you look at the political situation that Mr. Anwar is facing, it's also, you know, not the smoothest of sailings, right? Yeah. He yeah. faced the, the, the six state local elections that we saw in August. Uh, we spoke about that. It was a bit of a blow to him. The ruling coalition lost about 30% yeah. of the state assembly seats. And, you know, I think there's, there's going to be some uh, hard work needed to be done in, in the next 12 months or, or even beyond that by the Anwar administration to show that they are ca- actually capable and able to turn the domestic economy around, which is one of the key promises that he, he made to voters. So, you know, I think we definitely have to keep a slightly closer eye on this. Yeah, yeah. and we do have an interest in Malaysian politics. Okay, I want to turn our attention to Indonesia. President Joko Widodo being accused of building a political dynasty through nepotism. Obviously, I'm not Indonesian, but I think, wow, he's done quite a bit as the country's president. Is this a bit too harsh? (laughs) Yeah, uh, you know, that is the question that people are asking. And and there are observers who are saying that he's risking tarnishing the good work that he has done over time. Uh, he's due to leave office, of course, in October next year yeah. after completing his maximum two terms as president. And, you know, I, we've been hearing in the news his eldest son, uh, Gibran, is going to be the vice presidential yeah. running mate of uh, Defence Minister Prabowo. His youngest son, Kesang, was appointed chairman of the Indonesia Solidarity Party in September. You might say it's not too surprising, but it was just a few days after he became a party member. Right. So you can't blame people for saying this is nepotism yeah. and, you know, and, and the president is seeking to retain influence and power, maybe not directly, but through his, his relatives, right? His, mm. his sons and his sons-in-law apparently are being uh, implicated as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's not hard to say. Of course, as you say, we are, we are not Indonesian. And, and in some cases, if you have capable people who come into positions of power, and unfortunately for them, they happen to be related to other people who have been in politics. It's easy for this cause of nepotism yeah. or accusations of yeah. nepotism to be made. But, you know, at the same time, we have to bear in mind that 
uh, politics is a very complex situation and, and you know, it's easy, easy for us on the outside to criticize. Yeah. But so circling back to where we started, you know, it could weigh heavily on President Jokowi's reputation. He came in as a former furniture salesman. He, he really captured the hearts of the people when he, he became the country's first leader who didn't come from a political or military background. And I think many people were hopeful that he was going to, he was a symbol or pushback against elitist-led systems. But now with his sons and his other relatives sort of climbing the political ladder, it's going to be difficult for him to avoid comparisons with, with other existing political dynasties around in this particular region as well. So I think it has to be, it has to be a, a path that he has to tread very carefully yeah. in the last phase of his presidency. I think many experts are saying it's, a, it's going to be a little bit of a tricky uh, effect, uh, you know, a tricky game for him mm. to play in the last few months. Yeah, just like the picture that you paint, Nicholas, politics can be quite complex. I've been speaking with Nicholas Fung, Managing Director, Black Dot, and Director for Security and Global Affairs, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Appreciate your time. Take care and have a great Wednesday evening. Catch you soon, buddy. Bye. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.